Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here, and it is Carnival Day, and we are excited. Every week in this series, you're invited. We've been throwing a different kind of party because we believe that's what the church should be. We believe we have reason to celebrate as followers of Jesus, and so to reflect who we believe the church should be, we've been throwing all these parties. The first week in our series, we had a tailgate party. The second week was our Labor Day cookout. The third week was Disneyland Day. Last week, we had a car show, and today is our Carnival Day, and I'll talk about that here in just a second. But before I do, I just want to ask how many of you guys have been to, let's say, four out of five of our Your Invited Sundays? Let me see you. Let me hear you too. Yeah. Okay, good number of you. Awesome. That's great. Well, today is Carnival Day, and as you can imagine, our staff around here has been pretty excited about today. We've been preparing for it. We've been hyped about it. And this week in the office, it was a little crazy as we got ready for Carnival Day. Take a look. Tell. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's awesome. If you can't tell, we have a lot of fun around here, and I hope you guys have fun today. Our carnival starts right after this service, and there's free food and games and rides and a concert and all sorts of stuff. So we hope that you will hang around and just have a good time with us. And let me ask, why do people go to carnivals? Well, the answer is obvious. To have fun, right? A carnival is a good escape from the sometimes chaotic and hectic world that we live in. So you can go and have a good time with friends and family and just escape because, let's face it, there are some days that are kind of rough, right? Not every day is a carnival day. In this life, there's a lot of highs and lows, and sometimes the lows are really low. Not every day feels like a carnival day. In fact, some days, life can really hurt. It can hurt a lot. I mean, I know that's probably not what you thought you would hear today coming to Carnival Day, but it's true. We've all had seasons in life where we have felt beat up, when we've been emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally exhausted. And the reason why I want to talk about that today is because I think as the church, we need to be honest about that. And we need to be honest about it because God's honest about it. In fact, in John 16, verse 33, Jesus tells us, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. What's Jesus doing there? He's preparing us for the fact that not every day is going to be a carnival day, that there's going to be some tough days that we have to live out. The reality is that some days on the earth are going to be long, difficult, and full of suffering. And there's a reason why that's the case. The Bible goes on to tell us in 1 John 5, 19, the world around us is in the grips of the evil one. I mean, the world that we live in right now is under the influence of the evil one, our enemy, Satan. It's under his power. And what the Bible is trying to tell us is that the world that we presently live in is not the world that God originally created it to be. You may not have thought about that before, but it's true. The world that we now live in is not the world that God originally designed us to live in. What the Bible is telling us is we live in a world that's been hijacked by sin and death. And I think all you have to do is look around in our culture today 
to know that that's true. I mean, have you ever had one of those moments where you've experienced something or you've seen something, you've heard some news, and you've just kind of hit pause and you've thought to yourself, this just isn't right. This isn't how things are supposed to be. You ever had that thought? I have that thought every time I turn on the news and I hear of more innocent bloodshed or I hear about sickness or disease that's spreading or hear about some catastrophic storm that's coming. Something hits me and I just think, this isn't how things are supposed to be. I think that every time I hear of another tragic and senseless mass shooting, it's like, this just isn't right. I think that every time I hear of another family that I know who's been touched by cancer, or every time I hear about another miscarriage or another situation of infertility, I think about that every time I think of homes that have been touched by addiction, or every time I hear of another death that's been caused by a drunk driver, I think this just isn't right. I think that every time I hear of another divorce, another abuse situation, another crime, another case of depression, another layoff, another foreclosure, another funeral, something just hits me and I'm like, this isn't how things are supposed to be. And the reason why I've thought that before and probably why you've thought it as well is because things aren't as they're supposed to be. This world that we live in is not the world that God originally created it to be. See, God created us to live in a paradise with him, a paradise that was free from pain, free from suffering, free from heartache, free from stress, free from sin. He called it Eden, the Garden of Eden. And that's where we were supposed to live. But we allowed sin to enter our lives and therefore enter God's world. We allowed sin to hijack God's creation. And as a result, the world that we now live in is full of pain, emptiness, and loss. In fact, those things are just part of the typical human experience. And the reason why is because we decided to push God out. We decided to come up with our own plan and go against his. But even though we decide to push God out, God refused to give up on us. God loved us so much that he came on the scene through the form of his son. He sent Jesus. And Jesus came to reclaim you and me, to reclaim us. He went to the cross. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead to defeat the curse of death that has descended upon us all so that he could reclaim us as his own, to make us new again, forgiven of our sins. But the Bible also promises that Jesus is coming again. He came the first time to reclaim his people. But Jesus is coming again to reclaim the entire cosmos, to reclaim his creation that has been corrupted by sin. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, it's going to be the party of parties because the old realm, the old heaven, the old earth is going to be done away with. And there's going to be a new home where God's people are going to live, a home that is free from everything that we know right now, everything that sin has done to us. And we are going to celebrate in it for all eternity. And the reason why I say it's going to be a party of parties is I think that's how the Bible describes it. In Revelation 19, verse 9, it refers to that day when Jesus comes back as the wedding supper of the Lamb. The wedding supper, the, ready, the wedding banquet, the wedding party. I love how one translation captures it. It says the wedding celebration of the Lamb. 
I love to talk about when Jesus comes back. I love to talk about the new home that he is going to bring for us, this new heaven, this new earth, because I can't wait for a day when pain will be no more, when suffering won't exist, when sin will be forever gone, and we will experience eternal joy. It's going to be the party of parties, and I can't wait. The Bible calls it a wedding party, and I don't think we should picture some solemn or somber event. I think we should think of something fun and festive, kind of like this wedding. Take a look. and I have decided that if we ever renew our vows, we're going to do that. We're going to dance down the aisle, no doubt. I probably won't be dancing on my hands, but still, we're going to dance down the aisle. And that's the way a wedding should be. It should be fun. It should be excited. It's exciting. It should be full of joy. And I think that's how it's going to be when Jesus comes back. It's not going to be a somber event for us. It's going to be a celebration, the celebration to end all celebrations. And John, at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21 and 22, tells us why. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look up with me, Revelation chapter 21. That's where we're going to start today. And John gets a vision of this new home that we're going to live in, this new heaven and new earth that Jesus is going to bring with him when he comes back. And I want you to pay careful attention to what he says about it. Revelation 21, starting at verse 1. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I love the language that John uses there to describe this new heaven and new earth. He says that the old earth, the old heaven, the old realm that we currently live in now will pass away, will forever be gone. And God is going to bring about a new creation, a new creation that is free from all pain and suffering, heartache, depression, stress, anxiety, worry, you name it, that's free from sin. 
And the reason why it's going to be free from all those things is because of what the one seated on the throne declares in verse 5. Behold, I am making all things new. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to make this creation like new again. You see, Jesus is coming to restore everything back to the way that God originally intended it to be. In Revelation 21 and 22, the curse is reversed. What what we did to mess up God's creation on the first pages of the Bible, Jesus, he undoes all that stuff on the last pages of the Bible. You see, what happens is what God intended for us to have in Genesis 1 and 2 is restored in Revelation chapters 1 and 2. And our pain, the pain that we've experienced during this life, will forever be replaced with eternal and lasting joy. I mean, just imagine a world, imagine a life where pain and emptiness are gone forever, but joy remains. See, that's why God's people declare in Revelation 19, verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad, let us celebrate and give God glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. You see, in God's new world, we will be eternally joyful. And I can't wait. I'm so excited for that day. But I think we need to ask the question, what do we do in the meantime? Because if I'm being transparent, sometimes today seems really far away from Revelation 21 and 22. Sometimes it seems like it's something we'll never get to. So what do we do in the meantime as we wait? I'll tell you what we do. We fix our eyes on Jesus because Jesus wants to give us a head start on the eternal party that God is throwing. In fact, that's why he came. If you look at what he says in John 15, 11, he's speaking to his followers and he says, I have told you these things. I've taught you all this stuff. I've given you my way of life. I've given you all these instructions for a purpose and here's the purpose, so that you will be filled with my joy God's joy, the joy of heaven. And when you're filled with my joy, the joy of heaven, yes, it will overflow, overflow to others. And so that's why over the past few weeks here at First Church, we've been teaching that we believe the church exists to be a community where the joy of heaven invades the sadness of earth. We believe that it is our mission to bring the future into the present. We believe that we are here to get the party of God started early on the earth. That's why we've been throwing a party every single week in this series to reflect the mission that we believe God has given us as his church because we're convinced that First Church exists to be a colony of heaven in the midst of Northeast Oklahoma that breathes eternal joy into the lives of people. So if we're gonna do that, if we're gonna carry out that mission, and breathe the joy of heaven into the lives of those around us, we have to know what the joy of heaven is all about. We need to understand it. And that's what John helps us do in Revelation 21 through 22. He gives us a description of our new home that's supposed to bring us joy. And he gives us a message of hope to share with others. But here's the thing, John describes heaven in a very interesting way. He doesn't as much tell us 
what's going to be in heaven as he tells us what's not going to be there. In fact, he uses this phrase over and over again, no more, no more this and no more that. He tells us what isn't going to be there. And I think there's a reason why John does that. See, I have a friend that spent time as a missionary in the country of Haiti, that third world country, and he said that when he started to tell the locals there about the United States, life in the United States, they had trouble understanding it. Because how do you explain to someone who's never experienced indoor plumbing, indoor plumbing? It just didn't make any sense to them. And so what my friend started to do was tell the locals there in Haiti what's not in the United States. And he would say, imagine a country where there is no malaria, Imagine a country where there is no brutal government system that's oppressing you. Imagine a country where there isn't nationwide poverty. Imagine a country like that. And my friend said that as he started to tell the local Haitians about what wasn't in America, they would start to smile and they would say, we want to live in a place like that. See, I think that's what John is doing in this passage. He understands that our human minds can't comprehend everything about the new heaven and the new earth, our new home that Jesus is going to bring. So what he decides to do is tell us what isn't going to be there, knowing that that will be a source of joy. And so that's what I want to talk about today. Because John tells us a few things that aren't going to be there that I think should excite us. And the first thing that John mentions is found in verse 4 of chapter 21, which we just read. Looking at that verse, John writes that he, speaking of God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. See, as John describes for us this new home that we're going to live in, the first thing that he tells us is it will be a place where there's no more death. Now, I'm sure that when you came to Carnival Day today, you probably didn't expect us to talk about the subject of death. I get that. It's kind of a depressing subject, right? And it's a subject that makes a lot of us feel very uncomfortable. And I think that's because death is so unpredictable. It's so uncertain and unknown. I mean, none of us know when we're going to die or how we're going to die. And we have an enemy that likes to play on our fears when it comes to death because he knows that death not only robs us of life, but death also robs us of joy. Because no matter what you've accomplished in life, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, what status you have, death looms over us all. And that's why the Bible refers to death in 1 Corinthians 15, 26 as our enemy. Because death goes against everything that God created us to be. See, sometimes I will hear people say, you know, death is only natural or death is just part of the natural order of things. You've probably heard people say that too. And I know what they mean by that. But from a theological standpoint, I have to disagree with that. I think death is one of the most unnatural things that exists on the face of the planet. And this is why I say that. Because we were never created to die. God created us, you and me, to live forever. We were never wired for death, to experience death. If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, we would have lived in a garden of Eve, Eden forever. Death was never part of God's original plan. He intended for us to live forever. We brought death upon this world. And that's why death oftentimes doesn't make sense to us. In fact, most of the time it doesn't make sense to us. I mean, I have said in funerals, 
for godly individuals who have passed away, who live full and complete long lives, who died in faith, and I know where they are. I mean, I have hope that they are with Jesus, and yet still I look around at the crowd, and people are crying, and people are broken and torn up. Because death still doesn't make sense. Yes, we can have hope in the midst of experiencing death. Yes, we can have peace in it through Jesus, but it still doesn't add up. There's something in us that tells us we're supposed to live forever because we were supposed to live forever. And so John says that day is coming. Yes, right now in this life, death will affect us all, but there's coming a day when death will have no more power over us, when we will live forever as God intended us to live. And in this new realm where we will live forever, it means that there will be no more pain, meaning no more sickness, no more illness, no more suffering, no more hospitals, no more doctor visits. It means in this world of no more death that there will be no more decay. By that I mean no more getting older. I mean no more gray hair. I'm getting more gray hair all the time. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, if it's because I'm a dad, or if it's because of you guys. I don't know, but I get more gray hair all the time. But in this world of no more death, there's no more decay. No more getting older, no more walkers, no more wheelchairs, no more canes, no more nursing homes. It also means that there's no more loss. Meaning no more mourning, no more crying, no more separation from those that we love, no more grieving, no more loss. And I long to live, I long to live in that world. And I think most people do, and that's why we have hope for those around us who don't know Jesus yet Because death seems so permanent here, and yet Jesus tells us that when we do life with him, it's not. That he is victorious over death, and he will make us victorious over death as well. That death won't get the last word. And I think that's a message that our culture desperately wants to hear. I was reading an interview a while back that was done with Larry King, you know, from the show Larry King Live is on for years. And he was actually being interviewed and they were asking him about God and he kind of admitted in this interview that he didn't really believe in God. And then they asked him about death. And what's interesting is he said that he had been investigating the pseudoscience of cryonics. And if you don't know what cryonics is, what that study is, it's basically where they freeze a dead body for the purpose of preserving it with the hope that one day they will come up with a cure for death, and then when they do, they can unfreeze you and bring you back to life. They can resurrect you. Now, it sounds nuts, and Larry King admitted that, but listen to what he says. This was his quote. The people behind cryonics are all nuts, but at least I'll die with a shred of hope. See, there's something deep within us that says, death can't be it. Because we weren't wired for death. We were wired to live. And here's the thing. We don't just give people a shred of hope. We give them real, lasting, meaningful hope. The hope that is found in Jesus. And I've seen this hope. I remember seeing it in the eyes of a man I knew well. He was a leader at the last church I served. And he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And he was dying. In fact, he died within a year of being diagnosed. And we went to see him. Alice and I did just a few days before he died. And I remember his body being so weak because he had been through chemo and radiation. And I just remember him 
being in such pain. And I walked into the room and I just started to cry because I hated to see him in that state of life. I hated to see his body decaying and dying in that way. And I remember when he saw the tears in my eyes, he looked at me and he said, death won't have the final word, Jesus will. And when I saw that hope in his eyes, I thought that's hope that this world is longing for. It's hope that the world doesn't, can't buy. It's hope that's only found in Jesus and that's what we have. And so in the midst of a world that is plagued by death, we can still live with hope because we know that God is preparing a life for us where death will be no more. But not only that, God's also preparing a place for us, a new home for us that's going to be missing something else. That's found in Revelation 21, verse 25, if you want to read on. And look at what John says here. He says, on no day will its gates, he starts to describe this new home of ours in the form of a city, and he says, on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. John says there will be no night in this new world that we're going to live in. Another way of saying that is there will be no more darkness You see, in the ancient world, they would build cities and they would build a huge wall around their cities to protect them. And at the front of the city, there would be a city gate, a massive gate. And at nighttime, they would shut those gates because that's when enemies would attack under the cloak of darkness. And so what John here is saying that in this new home, the gates will never be shut because we will have nothing to fear. There will be no anxiety. There will be no stress, no worry because God will live with us And he will protect us, and we will know that we are totally and completely, eternally secure in his presence. Wouldn't it be nice to live in a world where you don't have to fear anything? My son Alex, he's six years old, and he gets up a lot during the middle of the night. In fact, just about every night, he gets up and comes into Alice and Maya's room. We are longing for the day when he will sleep all night long, but that hasn't come yet. And a lot of times when he will come into our room in the middle of the night, he'll want to talk to us and he'll say, Daddy, did you lock all the doors? Daddy, did you turn the alarm system on? He's scared. We don't know why he's scared. We try to provide a safe life for him, but obviously he's seen something on TV. He's heard something from his friends. He's picked up something somewhere. And he's scared and he just wants to know that he's safe. And here's the thing. He won't go back to sleep until he's able to lay down in our room because he wants to be close to us because he knows as long as he's close to us, he's safe. See, that's how we're going to feel in the new heaven and new earth. We won't have to worry about anything or fear anything because we will live in the presence of God and we will know that we are completely safe. So what that means is there will be no more separation, no more separation between us and God we will experience his presence every single day and we will feel totally secure. It also means that there will be no distractions. No distractions in heaven, meaning there won't be sin to tempt us. There won't be darkness to pull us away. There won't be the pressure to conform and live a life that's different from what God wants us to live. But it also means there will be nothing to fear. All anxiety, all worry, all stress, forever gone. And I think we need to remind people 
that they can have that same comfort starting now. That yeah, we still live in a world where Satan, where Satan has a lot of influence, but by Jesus living in us now, that comfort, that strength, that support can start to dwell within us and it will help us get through our day so that we won't settle for the darkness around us, but we will know there's coming a day when the darkness will forever be gone and we will live in light forever. We're here to let people know there's a better life to live. It starts now, and one day we will live eternally in a place where there is no darkness. And yet there's one more thing that I want to point out that John mentions. This last thing is pretty important. It says there will be no more chaos. If you read on into Revelation chapter 22, if you want to jump over in verse 3, it says, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. No curse, meaning no more effects of sin. All that sin has done to God's creation will forever be removed. There will be no more chaos in this world, no more disorder, no more uncertainty, no more unknowns. The curse will forever be gone. And what that means practically for us is that there will be no more chasing No more chasing after purpose in life. Chasing for something more because we will have everything that we need. No more rat race. No more trying to keep our head above water or anything like that. No more chasing. It also means no more confusion. Meaning all of our questions will be answered. Meaning we will have no more unknowns or uncertainties. We will live with complete confidence. But also it means... No more searching. By searching, I mean no more hungering, no more thirsting. Both physically and spiritually, we will want for nothing. We will live complete, satisfied lives, both physically and spiritually. See, here's the thing. Our enemy, Satan, he loves chaos because he's a bully And he wants to throw us into confusion and he wants to see us floundering in life. But God is not the God of chaos and disorder. He is the God of peace. And he wants us to let the world know that even in the midst of this chaotic world that we currently live in, you can still have inner peace. That yes, the world around us may not be at peace, but we can have that peace. So that even on our darkest day, we can be comforted by his presence. And then we can have the hope of knowing that one day, God will remove all the chaos and we will be, we will be totally at ease in his presence. Now, how do we survive in the meantime though? I think again, we continue to focus on his son, the Prince of Peace. When I was in the eighth grade, my brother Philip, who's two years younger, he was in the sixth grade and when where we grew up, the sixth, seventh, and eighth grades were all together in one school, one middle school. And I remember after the first week of him being in middle school, he was kind of down and depressed. And so I asked him what was going on. He didn't want to tell me. But eventually I said, come on, Philip, something's not right. Something's up. Why are you so upset? Why do you hate sixth grade so much? It wasn't just starting a new school. And he went on to tell me that there was a bully that was picking on him and his friends. And I didn't like that at all, because here's the thing. I picked on my little brother a lot growing up. We fought all the time, but he was my brother and no one else was gonna do it. 
And so when I found out that there was a bully picking on my brother, I wanted to know that bully's name. And the next day at school, I went and I found that bully and I walked up to him. You gotta remember, I'm an eighth grader, so I'm taller than him. I mean, he was a short sixth grader anyway. And I was tall for my age, so I towered over that little punk sixth grade bully. And I walked up to him and I said, do you know who Philip Broadus is? He said, yeah, I know who Philip is. I said, that's my brother. You mess with him, you mess with me. And he started to shake and stammer and say things like, I didn't know he was your brother. And I said, listen, you mess with Philip. I'm gonna mess with your face. That was the best I could come up with at the time. I was in eighth grade, you know. I'm not proud of that moment. Don't tell my kids that I said that. But anyway, that's what I told him. And that little bully ran away with his tail between his legs and he told me as he was leaving, I'll never bother him again. And I turned, and when I turned, I saw Philip, my brother. And he had the biggest grin on his face. You know why? That bully was still going to be around, but the bully had already been defeated. And guys, that's the world that we live in right now. We have a bully named Satan who's picking on us, but here's the thing, he's already been defeated. And you may, you may be going through a lot of pain and heartache and suffer right now, but let me let you know something. Your pain isn't going unnoticed by Jesus. Jesus sees it, and he's getting tired of it. And there's coming a day when Jesus is going to say, enough. And he's going to show up on the scene and he's going to say, I'm tired of Satan, the bully of this world, messing with my people, messing with my bride, messing with my church. And that's why Jesus tells us in Revelation 22:20, 20, yes, I am coming soon. In other words, hang on, church. I'm coming. And when I come, it's going to be the party of all parties. It's going to be the celebration to end all celebrations because I am going to make all things right. And on that day, we will inherit a new home, a new world that is free from all the things that sin has done to us. It will be a world of no more. And I can't wait to live in a world, in a home of no more. In a new heaven, a new earth where there will be no more cancer, no more divorce, no more rejection, no more loneliness, no more depression, no more band-aids, no more tissue boxes, no more crutches, no more wheelchairs, no more pacemakers, no more radiation, no more chemotherapy, no more suicide bombers, no more school shootings, no more metal detectors, no more persecution, no more x-rays, no more MRIs, no more anxiety medication, no more middle-of-the-night phone calls, no more crosses along the side of the road. No more miscarriages. No more child abuse. No more rat race. No more breakups. No more tornado sirens. No more typhoons. No more hurricanes. No more earthquakes. No more tsunamis. No more flu shots. No more acne. No more love handles. No more double chins. No more bad breath. No more body odor, no more waxing, no more Rogaine, no more socks without a match, no more stubbed toes, 
No more yelling, no more fighting, no more bullying, no more traffic, no more road rage, no more racism, no more addictions, no more hormones, no more diets, no more guilt, no more legalism, no more pretending, no more injustice, no more infertility, no more infidelity, no more insecurity, no more infomercials, no more tumors, no more security systems, no more embarrassing moments, no more sleepless nights, no more concussions, no more autism, no more sensory issues, no more bipolar disorder, no more child protective services, no more doctors, no more needles, no more taxes, no more bills, no more bill collectors, no more mechanics, no more dentists, no more lawyers, no more elections. Can I get an amen? amen. No more funeral homes, no more nursing homes, no more orphanages, no more waiting rooms, no more hospitals, no more treatment centers. No more broken homes, no more slums, no more tear-stained divorce papers, no more foreclosure notices, no more loneliness, no more crying, no more pain, no more death, because the one who is seated on the throne is making all things new. And here's the thing. He wants to start his new work in you today. He wants the party to get started early in your life today. And I don't know your background I don't know your past. I don't know how broken you are. I don't know what you've done or what's been done to you, but I know one thing. Jesus can make you new again. His forgiveness is greater than your failure. His love is greater than your loss. He wants to make you new again. And we're going to have a moment here in just a second. The band's going to come back out and they're going to play another worship song. And I'm going to do something that I don't do every Sunday. I'm going to wait down front. And if there's anybody today listening to this message who needs prayer, who needs a prayer of hope, who maybe just needs to talk to somebody, I'm going to be down front. We're going to have other church leaders down front as well. Or maybe today for the first time what you need to do is bring the party into your life. Maybe you need to let the joy of heaven invade your life for the first time today. As we have this, this moment of worship, if you want to come down and you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you want to get baptized today, you can come and do it and experience the joy of heaven. Because here's the thing. Today may seem like a far way off from Revelation 21 and 22, but it's really not. We only have today. And he wants to start, Jesus wants to start his new work in you today. So if there's anything that you need prayer for, if you need to talk to somebody, I'll be down front, we'll have other leaders down front. But we pray that today in your life, the joy of heaven overtakes you. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, I thank you for today. And I thank you for the hope that we have in your son. We know he came to reclaim a people, a people for his very own. And he had to reclaim us first so that he could have people to live in this new earth, this new creation that he's going to bring about. 
And so, Father, I want everybody listening to this message today to be able to inherit that new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. So if there's anybody listening to my voice right now who has not experienced the salvation of your son, I pray that today they make the decision to experience the joy of heaven for the first time. There is hope and love and grace that can be found in your son today. But if there's anybody else in the room that just needs prayer, Father, anybody else that's going through a rough patch, anybody else that just wants somebody to talk to, I pray that they come and talk to us because we want to be a church that wraps our arms around them and shows them the love of your son. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.